Hello, this is Brian McLean, and welcome to Our Story with God, episode 10, How a Kingdom Begins. Uh, first of all, thank you guys for checking this out every week. Uh, hitting 10 weeks, really big deal for me. I hope you're enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun, and honestly, I've been learning a lot through this whole process. So uh, thank you guys as listeners um, and, and those of you who are subscribing uh, and contributing with comments. Uh, you guys make this possible. I do appreciate everything. But let's take a look at how a kingdom begins. Uh, and, and sort of my, my thought behind all of this, through scripture, God kind of enjoys, appears to enjoy leaving his calling card by doing things that seem to be impossible. And uh, as we've moved from Moses to Joshua to the judges, um, a lot of the judges, uh, some were memorable, some were not so memorable. But the last one that comes along uh, is probably the greatest leader since Moses, and that was Samuel. Samuel was born uh, as the first child of a woman who up until that point in time was barren, a woman named Hannah. Uh, she was unable to conceive, unable to have children. And so as a last resort, she did what all of us should do as sort of our first resort. And that is she went to God and she prayed about it. Um, but she kind of bargains with God. If you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. Uh, and as part of that, Samuel, little baby Samuel, uh, as soon as he's old enough, leaves home and his mother takes him as a small child uh, to live in the tabernacle with the priest named Eli. And yes, this is the same tabernacle that Moses built, uh, had Israel built at, at the base of Mount Sinai uh, years and years and years before. So uh, Samuel goes to live with Eli. Now, Eli is an older man at this point in time. He has sons, and the Bible says the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. That's 1 Samuel 2.12. Why is it that the sons of a priest who is responsible for sort of nurturing and teaching the spiritual lives of all of Israel, his own sons don't know the Lord? It's a shocking level of ignorance, and it speaks very poorly to Eli's uh, level of uh, skill in, in teaching and training. Apparently, they were good at, uh, you know, kind of overseeing what was going on at the, at the uh, tabernacle, but only for their own personal gain, not for the actual worship of God. Uh, the sad irony, unfortunately, is that Samuel, despite being uh, he was a priest, he was a prophet, he was a judge, he, he wore all these different hats uh, in Israel. His sons saw, followed a similar pattern. He became, Samuel became, too much like his sort of adopted father, this, this Eli priest character. Eli did not train up his sons in the proper way. And when it came time for Samuel, as he was growing older, the people of Israel said, your sons do not walk uh, in the correct ways either. And in 1 Samuel 8, 3, uh, there's a quote that says, His sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted perverted justice. And so here we have, again, this sort of, this problem with the children of uh, seemingly good, uh, even in Samuel's case, spectacular uh, leaders uh, who, who follow God and, and do what God commands. They're not teaching their children. And that's a problem. And it's going to be a big problem. And so... The people of Israel say, nope, we don't want judges anymore. We want a king to rule over us. Because obviously, if you're having problems with people not raising their sons well, 
why not have a system of government in place where the children become the rulers just by birthright? It makes no sense whatsoever, but they go full bore into this and Samuel hates the idea. God says, listen to them. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so God says, okay, Samuel, accept this decision. Israel, after years of having a unique form of government where really God was leading them and empowering judges and also allowing priests uh, to, to sort of run things and to teach his people, uh, at this point in time, they want to be just like everybody else. Uh, so now, here we go into a new system of government. And hey, Israel, if you're going to be just like everybody else and have a king, why not select a king just like everybody else does? So God has Samuel select a man named Saul. Now Saul, he's a handsome man. And the Bible says that he was taller than any of his people. Uh, and God uses Saul in a lot of great ways as the king. He wins a lot of very important military engagements. But very, very similarly to some of the judges that we saw, Saul does not have a fully devoted heart for God. And God knows that. Uh, and God actually says, hey, listen, um, you're going to have the kingdom torn away from you. This is not going to last. So Think back a little bit. After leaving Egypt a couple, you know, 400 years earlier, uh, the Israelites had several instances where they would disobey God and God would get so enraged, he would tell Moses, step aside, I'm going to destroy these people and I'm going to rebuild the people of Israel through you. And Moses would step really between God and the people of Israel and say, uh, no, if you're going to wipe them out, wipe me out as well. He would sort of intercede for his people. Now here we have Samuel and Saul and Samuel, while he mourns the decision that the kingdom is being rejected, pulled away from Saul, apparently he never, we never see anywhere where he attempts to change God's mind. So Moses would stand in the gap for the people of Israel, but Samuel is either unable or unwilling to do the same thing for Saul. And so Saul ends up no, he's not the answer. And he he's sort of an example to the people of Israel of why they shouldn't have made this decision in the first place. God makes a new decision after Saul. His second choice is decidedly different. Enter the singing shepherd, David. He is the youngest son of Jesse uh, from the tribe of Judah. Now, at first glance, he does appear to be every bit as visually appealing and physically uh, uh, you know, strong and beautiful and so forth uh, as Saul. In fact, when he goes to fight Goliath, it says he dons Saul's armor. It doesn't say that Saul's armor was too big for him. He said it was, it was clumsy because he, it wasn't, he wasn't used to them. And so clearly he was a large person. If Saul was a head taller than everyone else and David is putting on his armor, uh, he was a, 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 an imposing physical specimen. But the important thing is what it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. And frequently throughout his life, David is defined as a man who is after God's own heart. He has a very turbulent time becoming king. Uh, so he Samuel anoints him as God's chosen king, future king of Israel. Saul doesn't necessarily know about this immediately. 
he uh, David fights the giant. He serves Saul as both as a singer and as a bodyguard. He marries Saul's own daughter, becomes best friends with his son, ends up fleeing his life, becoming sort of a Robin Hood character, running away from Saul, uh, spares Saul's life a few times, um, ends up in a civil war with Saul's son Ishbosheth when uh, Saul and his son uh, Jonathan are both killed in battle. Um, and David is really not a perfect ruler, but he does write over 70 Psalms that really show us that he did have a heart. He had a passion for God. And because of this, God promises him in much the same way that he promised Abraham a, a covenant. And God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that is a promise that will see its fulfillment in two individuals. One is in King Solomon, and then ultimately that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself, who will come several years later from the house and the line of David. So study the word. Take a look. How many stones did David take into battle? Why did he take that number of stones into battle? Uh, we'll discuss that. Um, also look at what David was relying on when he went into that battle with a large seasoned giant like Goliath. And then think about it. David wasn't the oldest brother, but neither were his ancestors Judah or Jacob. Why do you think that God tends to use younger, smaller, and weaker individuals or groups to accomplish his purpose? So here we have it. Uh, the kingdom of Israel has begun. Uh, we are now into the second king, and we will go next week and discuss further kings and one queen of Israel and the kingdom of Judah after the kingdom splits. Thank you for listening. Leave your comments below.